we're going to get started tonight. Um, so just to recap what we talked about last week, uh, or Sunday night, I guess it wasn't last week, but at the beginning of this week, Sunday night we talked about Proverbs 18.21. We seen that nowhere in these verses or in this chapter of Proverbs chapter 18 does it speak of a supernatural ability to speak things into existence for Christians. We saw no, no hint that Christians were able to speak actual life and death to situations, i.e., as in they speak things into existence. So the verse that we're going to be talking about tonight, we're going to be talking about it because it is almost exclusively always linked to this idea that the misunderstanding of Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21 brings with it. The idea that is superimposed into Proverbs 18.21 is that we, because we are made in God's image, we, like God, can speak things into existence. This is a fabricated doctrine. It is not found in scripture. It is not found in reality. Adam never spoke anything into existence. Uh, Noah Abraham, David, you can name any one of the patriarchs. Not one of them spoke anything to existence. Beyond Christ, because Christ is God and was the same God that was at the beginning with God and all things were made by him, we understand that Christ did speak all things into existence. But that does not mean Christians can and we don't see any Christian in the New Testament speaking anything into existence. Nor when we talk about physical healing, do we ever see one single Christian prescribe the hyper uh, word of faith teaching of you just speak to this situation and it'll be fixed. And, you just speak to your body and it'll be fixed. And you just declare to these powers and principalities, they have no hold on you and they're powerless and all this. You never see any Christian in the New Testament speak this way. You never see Paul speak this way. You never see Peter speak this way. You never see Timothy, Titus, James, John, not one apostle, not one preacher, not one church leader spoke this way in the New Testament. So the reason that I'm bringing up Isaiah 53 verse 5, which is where we're going to be this time tonight, we're going to be there. Because we reviewed James chapter 3 as it was uh, linked Nearly every commentary, when you go to Proverbs 18.21, links Proverbs 18.21 with the New Testament chapter of James, chapter 3, where he talks about taming your tongue. And we came to the conclusion that this is thoroughly throughout the Bible, when it's talking about the tongue and taming the tongue, it is not talking about you having 
supernatural ability with your tongue. It is talking about you can be very destructive with your tongue or you can be very beneficial with your tongue. You can build up or tear down other people, okay? Or your tongue can get you in a world of trouble or it can do you a world of good, right? This is the meaning throughout Scripture of Proverbs 18.21. But because when you're talking to people that believe they can speak things into existence and they believe this because they're made in the image of God, it doesn't matter to them that Adam, who was made in the very image of God, cannot speak his own wife into existence. He never spoke anything else into existence. And this same Adam died because of sin. Every one of the apostles died. Every one of the apostles were starved and hungry and beaten. And they couldn't control anything with their tongue except the thing they were sent out to do. And that was preach the gospel of Christ. And nowhere in the gospel presentation of Paul... Nowhere in the gospel presentation of Peter, of Stephen, of anyone else in the New Testament is physical healing ever mentioned in what Christ did on the cross. Nowhere in the New Testament. Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 through 6, mentions nothing about physical healing. Acts when Peter stands up and tells them what Jesus accomplished for them, never once mentions physical healing. Paul, when he goes and preaches in Athens and when he preaches in, in Lystra, when he preaches in all these places, he never once mentions that Christ died so that they could walk in health, wealth, and prosperity. It never is mentioned, not one time. So this understanding should thoroughly affect how we view these verses. But this time we're looking at Isaiah 53 verse 5, which is often quoted in conjunction with Proverbs 18:21 as not only proof why they believe that they can speak things into existence, but they say that Isaiah 53:5 means that Christ paid for physical healing on the cross therefore all Christians can and should be healed and should never be sick and any who are is are that way simply because of a lack of faith I would mention that all of the great Pentecostals of the past who died of disease must have lacked this faith as well Your faith is not barometered by how well your life goes. Your faith is not put on the barometer of how healthy you are. Oh, you're really healthy, so you must have great faith. This is a lie. This is not found in Scripture. It is not true. So we ask tonight, we ask the question, is that what this means? Is that what it means in Isaiah 50, 
3, verse 5, is it saying emphatically that we have physical healing and everyone should and sh can and should walk in physical healing. And if you don't, it's because you're not trusting Christ and your faith is weak, which is not. And I'll show you unequivocally, that's not what this verse is saying. Period. End of story. So I want to start by reading Isaiah 53. I'm going to read the whole thing. It's only 12 verses. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him a tender plant as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid, it, we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison, from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and, he sh and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many? For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil of the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Wow. Now, just reading this right off the top, the words that jump out with more authority and more frequency and more understanding in this whole thing are sin, iniquity, transgression, justification. I mean, you, you can't get past these words, okay? 
the, the context is right there in the same verse in verse 5. You're correct. And it's never, never is this healing that is talked about in verse 5. I'll show you. Never is the context when, when Isaiah 53 is one of the most quoted chapters of Isaiah in the New Testament. And never once is this healing divorced from iniquity and sin being forgiven. Not one time. Okay? Never, ever, ever, ever. This chapter unequivocally is talking about the suffering servant dying for the sins of many. And I just want to, I just want to, uh, uh, Shoot through the verses here with you that talk about this, okay? Uh, number one, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, stricken and afflicted, smitten of God, that's not one. Okay, so uh, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. We have the transgressions and we have iniquities in verse 5, okay? All of us, like sheep, have gone astray all to our own way. And the iniquity of us all was laid upon him. Verse 6, right? He was oppressed, afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth before his shearer, right? Uh, right? Verse 8, it says, He was taken from prison, from judgment. Who shall declare to his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. Why? For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. You don't get a more clear directive in this chapter as why this person is suffering as you do right there. And let me tell you something else. In the New Testament, that doesn't change. Every time they talk about the atoning work of Jesus Christ, it is for the forgiveness of sins every single time in the New Testament. It is never linked to anything else but your eternal soul and your eternal destination. That is what this chapter is talking about. How, how can you read the context of that? I mean, if you are familiar at all with the Old Testament, with the temple system, with the sacrifices mm -hmm. and all that, and know what the sacrifice has done, it's still blameless kind of thing. Well, well, let's just keep going. I don't know how you can read this in context and know the Old Testament and believe that Isaiah 53 verse 5 is talking about physical healing. I don't know how you can read that. The context of it all starts in verse 13 or 52. Right. It starts in chapter 52. You're right. It takes back to the temple sacrifice. Right. Right, right. Never at any point in the sacrificial system was there provision for physical healing. And I would add that even in Christ, the provision for ultimate physical healing is in the new heaven and the new earth in our resurrected bodies. That is the only time we're promised no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, right? So that's the promise, if there's any promise of physical healing, it's future at the resurrection. But let's keep going through these verses. We, we see in verse 8 that he was, he was uh, for the transgression of my people, he was stricken. Verse 9, he, you kind of skip past it because there's nothing in there about necessarily a sacrifice. But you go right into verse 10, it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put upon him, uh, he has put him to grief. 
and thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by the knowledge of my right hand. Thy servant shall justify many, okay, and shall bear their iniquities, for he shall bear their iniquities. And even in the last one where we have him being numbered with the transgressors, and he bears the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressor. None of this chapter deals with physical healing. This is absolutely talking about the atoning work of Christ to forgive man of their sins, to redeem them, to give them eternal life. And yes, the ultimate reward is our bodies being perfected, but that is not here on this earth. That is in heaven, okay? Now, as I said, we have lots of verses that I'm going to get through, okay? And if I didn't say that, I'm saying it now. We've got a lot of verses to get through because when you reference Isaiah 53, and I only picked out 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. I only picked out 9, okay, that reference Isaiah 53, okay? So let's go to Luke chapter 24 first. Luke chapter 24. And we're going to go, let's see. Let, let's do this. We're going to start, uh, we'll read 46. Let's just read 46. I thought about reading. You can read 27, okay? Let's just read 27 since I wrote it down. At, and the beginning and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto, unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Okay? Jesus is talking to the disciples, right? And he's expounding the scriptures to them, okay? Uh, I don't want to read all the way to verse 46, okay? You can, you can read this for yourself, but he starts expanding the scriptures to them. And I want you to notice verse 46, okay? And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ, or the Messiah, or the Son of Man, or the suffering servant, okay? Verse 46, chapter 24 of Luke, verse 20, or 46. And thus, uh, he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now, I want you to know, note that this is Christ's own words. Right? If Christ had intended to heal and bring health and healing and wholeness to every human body, and if that was actually part of the gospel, don't you think Christ would have said that? Don't you think that if the atoning sacrifice of Christ was to promise absolute physical healing, health, wealth, and prosperity for those who believe in him, Christ would have said that? Sure he would have. But the problem with health, wealth, and prosperity is you have all these other verses that say, do not treasure up for yourselves treasure on earth. 
where moth and rust eat and corrupt and thieves can break in and steal. But store for yourself up treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt and thieves can't break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Or in this world, you will have tribulation. Okay, people act as if Peter was promised the world like, oh, Peter, Peter being an apostle, he had the promises of God and he walked in the anointing of Christ and he was promised health, wealth and favor and dominion and power. Except that wasn't what Peter was promised. He said, Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. Don't worry, I prayed for you. And then later on, he says, you're going to be led away. When you're old to a place you don't want to go right you see christ promised suffering for those who followed him not wealth and prosperity and ease and fatness and sleekness and and all good things that's not what he promised we only get those things in heaven where our treasure is not on this earth where our treasure is not. And if your treasure is on earth, you have your reward. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and we're going to come back to 1 Peter, so just get ready for a little bit of gymnastics here, okay? <clears throat> And we're going to go to verse 10, okay? 1 Peter 1, verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look, look upon look into excuse me now this gospel is what we're going to get into okay what gospel is he talking about? What good news is he talking about here, okay? This, this reference to the prophets is definitely a prophet uh, a wit, uh, of mentioning Isaiah. When he's mentioning prophets, he's mentioning Isaiah because Peter, in the next chapter, again mentions a prophecy from Isaiah. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And this, these two verses in 1 Peter are tied directly to Isaiah uh, 53 verse 4 and Isaiah 53 verse 5. And every, uh, every reference Bible that's ever out there references these verses directly to Isaiah 53, 4, and 5. Every one of them without fail. Which is why we're here. Because Peter is going to quote directly Isaiah. Correct? Now, 
Uh, let's start with a little context. Verse 21 of chapter 2. For even hither unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Now that verse right there tells you that if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to suffer like Christ suffered. Okay? So this is absolutely juxtaposed to the position of you're always going to walk in hell, and you're always going to have everything you need, and you're always going to be walk in favor. This verse is not saying that. Verse 22. Who, who did, not sin, did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed unto himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bore, who his self, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead in our sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now notice, the healing that's mentioned here is mentioned with the soul. And it's also not divorced from him bearing our sins upon the tree. Amen? So this verse that is directly quoting Isaiah 54 or 53 verse uh, 4 and 5, this verse is quoting this. And it's telling you that this is talking about sin. By whose stripes we are healed. Healed from what? From sin. Charles Spurgeon of uh, when he mentioned when when he talks about Isaiah chapter fifty five or fifty three verse five, he said that it is the mercies of God. God in His mercy treated sin as a disease, and only cure for this disease was this suffering servant that was dying in our place to take upon Himself this disease of sin that had crept into humanity. This idea, this idea that Isaiah 53, 5 is talking about physical healing only came about in the last 100 years. Before that, no one in all of church history believed Isaiah 53 was talking about a promise of physical healing in the here and now. Not one, not one church father. Nobody ever until about a hundred years ago. Go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. So flip back to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to read. Let's read verse 21. We'll start there. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for 
us also, and to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now this is the gospel in a nutshell, that Christ was delivered up for our offenses, that he died, he was raised again for our justification. He did not, it doesn't say he died for our physical healing. It doesn't say that he died to give us some kind of imaginary authority to speak anything into existence. It says that he died for our offenses and he was raised from the dead for our justification. Why? So that we could be saved. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 verse 43. Which is quite honestly one of the most compelling places in scripture. Okay. And Peter is the author of the, these words and I could read the whole thing and never once in this whole sermon of Peter's in Acts chapter 10 will you find a promise of physical healing but you will find the promise of forgiveness of sins and I'm going to read just the verse that is referenced straight to Isaiah to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. Period. Now watch this. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Didn't make any promise of, uh, of health didn't make any promise of you're going to get physically healed if you come to Christ. You're going to have all your heart's desires. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get the, 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 the mansion you want. You'll, you'll be able to ask God and command things. None of this is in there. It's just not. It's not anywhere in any gospel presentation ever in the New Testament. Not once. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. Verse 29, and this is a verse that we have read over and over. We spent great length talking about this when we went through John. This is John the Baptist declaring the Lamb of God and what he came to do. Amen? It says, And the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Amen? Know what your Bible says? John didn't say, look, the Lamb of God who's come to give you health, who's come to make, your, make sure that you go through life in perfect health because you're never going to suffer and you're never going to go through anything, which is the promise of the false gospel. Every reference here that we have read and gone through are tied directly to Christ's sacrifice for sin and his atoning work for sin without the least mention of the promise 
of physical healing or comfort. Not one mention. And I could have read dozens more. But I think nine verses should be sufficient to make a biblical warrant that this is the gospel. Amen? I want to go back to this first Peter chapter 2 verse 24 and 25 not don't don't physically turn back there okay because these verses like I told you every cross-reference system you can look up every cross-reference Bible every commentary every commentator ties first or yeah first Peter chapter 2 verse 24 and 25 it ties that verse directly to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 4 verse 5 and verse 11. So I want to go real quickly and read verse 11 again because sometimes we kind of get ahead of ourselves and once we read something, we kind of throw it out of our mind. We're like moving on to the next thing. But if you go back to Isaiah 53 and we're going to read verse 11 so we can continue with the context, but continue we will because it's important. He said he shall... Uh, he shall see the travail of his soul, and he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now they tie, every cross-reference system you'll look up, ties verse 24 and 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2 directly to Isaiah 53 verse 4, Isaiah 53 verse 5, and verse 11. And it's because the point of that whole story in Isaiah 53, the whole prophecy, the whole promise in Isaiah 53 is the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of transgression, Jesus Christ dying in our place. And Peter's message is just that. Jesus died in our place for our sins to save us from sin. He never mentions being saved from physical ailments. Never, never mentions being saved from physical trouble. Never makes mention of being saved from physical enemies. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't even tell us that we were going to be free of physical enemies. He said, you, they hated me. They're going to hate you. They will despitefully use and persecute you. They will speak all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. They will. They will put you in prison. They will seek to take your life. They will. He even looked at Peter and promised Peter, you're going to die for this. He told Paul the same thing. You're going to die for this. I'm sending you to Rome. Why? Paul knew why. Because he said, when he wrote Timothy, I'm about to be poured out like a drink offering. Why? Because he knew this following Jesus was going to cost him his life. He wasn't gaining he wasn't gaining worldly goods. He wasn't gaining worldly possessions. He wasn't gaining worldly friends. He wasn't gaining uh, uh, favor. He wasn't gaining dominion. He wasn't gaining even his health because his life was at stake. I mentioned it already, but we're going to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 
Might as well start at verse 1. It doesn't hurt me any. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand, by which ye are also saved, if ye keep memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered up unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Nowhere in this address does Paul say Christ died for your healing, Christ died for your prosperity, Christ died for you to be great and have favor and blah, 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 blah. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. And that he was buried and he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel message not that God is going to free you from all physical ailments here on earth because we simply do not have that promise in this life. That promise is for the world to come. Hebrews chapter 9 which I know I said this already. This is a very, very, very compelling. First of all, if you, can't, if you can read Hebrews and act like there's anything in Hebrews that's speaking about how great you're going to be, you're out of your mind because Hebrews talks about the greatness of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, what he did to atone for man's sins and bring them to redemption. That's what the book of Hebrews was written for, to tell the Jews what this Messiah came to do. Hebrews chapter 9, and I'm going to read verse 28. So Christ was offered to, be, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Jesus died for sins. Period. This kind of false teaching. We again clearly look. I'm just going to count, okay? We we read all of Isaiah 53. We read Luke 24, 46, 20, uh, 27, 46. We read read First Peter 1, 11, Matt, uh, First Peter 2, 24 and 25, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Acts 10, 43, John 1, 29, First Corinthians 15, 13, Hebrews 9, 28. And nowhere in it did we find one hint of a promise of physical healing. Now, I don't want anybody mis to misunderstand me. The problem that I had with this argument is that we can speak physical healing into existence. This is simply not a biblical concept. Nor can we stand on the grounds of, oh, it's just emphatic that we absolutely should walk in healing all the time. Okay? Even if we're promised healing, it's in a life to come. 
Second of all, am I saying that God doesn't heal people? Not at all. What I'm telling you is the biblical remedy for sickness, right? Let's, let's go to that. And even this remedy, as I'm going to call it, is not necessarily wholly a remedy for sickness as much as it is for both sin and sickness or the sickness of sin. Because where super hyper word of faith people want to say, oh, you can declare healing to your body and you just speak to your body and, and you have a right to do that. You have the power and authority to do that. I'm sorry. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say that anybody but God can speak anything into existence. Nowhere in all of scripture does it say that anybody except God has the power of life and death. Period. God is the author of life and death. God is in control of that. God is in control of all things. God is the only person in all of the scriptures who ever spoke anything into existence. And the reality of this, this doctrine is that it is teaching people falsely that, that they can speak it into existence and it has them ignore the very real prescription that God gives us. What did Jesus say? How do we get things from God according to Jesus? Ask my father anything in my name. Do you know what that's called? Prayer. It's called praying. Right. It's called asking. It's called seeking. It's called knocking. Right. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. If you have need of anything, just, un he said, he said, ask my father anything in my name. But know that before you even ask, he knows what you're going to ask before you ask it. Amen? Why? Because he's God. And he's the one that does anything good for us. The most famous portion of scripture that most of these people will quote to you is in James chapter 5. It says, Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I want you to notice what it does not say here. It does not say you stand and you declare to your body you are healed. It does not say you just speak in faith and you say to your body, you come into alignment with the word of God. These words, these phrases, this idea is not found in scripture. This prescription says if there's any sick among you, you bring them to the elders of the church and they will pray for them. It doesn't say they declare healing on them. It doesn't say that they command their bodies. It doesn't say that they command spirits. It doesn't say that they command strongholds. It says they pray. But we are so enthralled with being the center of attention in the modern day charismatic church that all they want is the spotlight. They want to be able to take credit for what God does. They want to be able to say, oh yeah, I got healed, and I did it. That's why they don't want to hear the biblical prescription to pray. 
That's why they don't want to humble themselves before God. That's why they lack and they fight and they war and they and, and they have and they and they they seek to get but they don't have and they ask and they don't get why because they're asking amiss isn't that in james 2 it's in james you can find it for me i'll be all right but the point of this message is to pray it's chapter 4 right Chapter 4, verse 3, it says, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. Now, isn't it interesting that yesterday we talked, or Sunday night, we talked about James 3, and how it led into James 4, and how it led into this asking amiss, because we're wanting to squander it upon our own lust. Isn't it interesting that that we come full circle on this subject about this supposed promise of healing. And we come full circle to James where James tells us to pray. If Jesus was here and you were sick, and, and what, what would he tell you? Pray. If you needed something, what did he tell you to do? Pray. If you, if you have need of anything, what do you do? Pray and ask my Father in my name. That is his prescription. But we don't take that because we don't want that because that gives God glory and not me. You see, this whole idea of having to be able to speak things into existence comes from the rebellious human nature that wants to seek to set itself up as God, which continuously, just like Satan, wants to set itself up as God. I want to give you a few verses for future healing, future restoration of your body, okay? You can go to John 6, and it's said three times at least in the chapter that we read this past week. Verse 39 of John 6. Well, if I was in John, I could read it. I was in Acts. <laughs> Verse 39 of John 6. And this is the will of, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. No man, verse 44, come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. I want you to understand that ultimate Final physical healing comes on this day. Because the Thessalonians, remember, they were beside themselves because the saints that had believed with them, some of them began to die and they were worried about these saints not making the resurrection. Somehow they had missed it. Somehow they weren't going to be able to go. But Jesus said, oh, or Paul, Paul told them, oh, no. We won't prevent those who are asleep already. 
because there's going to be a shout with the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet them with the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord then and only then will we have the promise of absolute physical healing how do I know that most of these peoples are liars and charlatans nearly every single word of faith preacher I know has uh, stents in their heart they have diabetes they wear hearing aids they have eyeglasses they have leg problems they have bowel problems the stomach problems the list goes on and on and on and on because this doctrine is not taught in scripture nor can it be actually exemplified out in real life. Right. How in the world would God give someone the power to speak healing to your body but not to their own? Ever. Or the reverse, how would God give you the power to speak health only to your body, but never to anybody else? You see, we don't find this in the New Testament. We find this in New Age religion. We find this in New Age superstition that has crept into the American church. We find this when the great awakening began to question scripture when they began to think that they could interpret the Bible however they wanted rather than to believe the doctrines of the church that have been proven and lived by for thousands of years they make up another gospel and the Bible warns us in Galatians 1, verse 8, that if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than the one that was preached unto you, let him be cursed. That is absolutely why it is imperative that Christians understand, yes, you can pray and ask God to heal you. Yes, you can certainly ask God to help your finances. Yes, you can certainly ask God to give you favor on your job and favor with other people and ask God to help you reach the lost and dying people around you and that, that he would give you favor for that. But don't get it mistaken, brother and sister. You don't get to command that authority. You don't get to command the favor of God upon you. You don't get to command the favor of God into a situation. Just like you don't get to command the favor of God and the healing of God into your body, you can't command it to be on anyone else. Because let me let you on a little secret. Yes, we got a free will, but guess what? So does God, and God does whatsoever he pleases. The Bible says that our king sits in heaven, and he does whatsoever he pleases. He's not subject to you. He's not subject to me. He doesn't have to follow our whims and our desires. As a matter of fact, when God says, when, when, when you ask and you don't get it, it's probably because God's saying no. And if you don't think God will bring any hardship on your life, and if you don't think God would 
bring any trials and tribulations upon you. Why don't you just ask every person in the Bible that had ever faithfully served God how that worked out for them? Because every one of them suffered. Every one of them went through. Every one of them uh, had sin that they dealt with. Every one of them had sickness that they dealt with. Every one of them had oppression and, and, and hardship and struggles and wars and fighting. Every one of them, not one, just lived out a, a peaceable life on top of the clouds, walking over every situation, walking in authority, walking in power, walk, blah. These apostles that most of these charismatic people try to highlight and say, oh, they walked in this kind of authority and walked in that kind of authority. They all died martyrs for the gospel. Paul admits to being hungry and cold and starved and shipwrecked and beaten. Amen? This doesn't sound like someone who has all this favor, but he did. He won souls for the kingdom of God, and that's the goal. The goal is souls. The goal is eternity. The goal is not here and now. The goal is for eternity. Your eternity and everyone else's eternity that will believe. Every one of them. That's the goal. That's the promise. That's the work. That's the gospel. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Of whom I am chief. That's the gospel. That's the message. Isaiah 53 is absolutely emphatically preaching that message. When you read Isaiah 53, it is, if, it is if Isaiah is standing in the very courts of Pontius Pilate. It's as if he is seeing these Roman soldiers beat the Christ with the cat of nine tails. It's as if he can see them stripping his beard from his face and hitting him with that staff and shoving the crown of thorn on his heads and mocking him saying, who is it that hit you? It's as if Isaiah was standing at the foot of the cross as they crucified Christ and they lifted the Son of Man up. Isaiah beheld it. It's as if he saw it. The description he gives of the persecuted servant, of the suffering servant, cannot be mistaken for anybody else but Christ. And that work was to save sinners. Not to promise health, wealth, and prosperity, but to promise eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that the, the finished work of Christ is enough. That I don't have to add to it. That I don't have to uh, uh, add my two cents. I don't have to put my weight on it, God. That the gospel is enough. That Jesus Christ coming and living and dying in my place and being raised from the dead for my justification. That's enough. That heaven is enough. That Jesus is enough. That eternity is enough for me to follow you. 
I don't have to have all these golds. I, I don't need mountains of gold. I don't need friends a million. I don't need, I, I don't need mansions. I just need Jesus and eternity. Finished work of Christ is enough. I pray that you would make it enough for those that hear this message. That they would believe upon Jesus Christ and have everlasting life. That they would not be deceived by a false gospel. That they would not be deceived by false promises, God. That they would hold fast to the scriptures. That Jesus died for sinners. Of which we are chief. Lord, I pray for your grace and your mercy. Pray for your anointing on those who hear this message, God. That your spirit would work in their hearts and in their lives, God. That you would draw them, Father, to the Son. That they would believe. That they would be born again. Redeemed, regenerate, elect, saved people. All for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.